Well, in the article in the bulletin today, I mentioned the Hokulea, which returned last week to great fanfare after sailing around the world, and I referenced it in relation to finishing our three-year journey of completing his vision, our venture. But I also want to begin with mentioning the Hokulea in this message because we uh, saw so much celebration when the Hokulea came uh, back to Honolulu after those three years. The crew, along with its captain, Nainoa Thompson, was honored, and they should have been. That was an amazing feat. I mean, they sailed around the world in that voyaging canoe that was representative of the canoes that are believed to have come with the Polynesians from the South Pacific uh, centuries ago. And there was a lot of pride among the Hawaiian people and the Polynesians because of what that represented. Do you realize that uh, they sailed without navigational instruments? I mean, they sailed by the stars at night and by the currents and the floatsam and jetsam by day. It's hard to imagine that. And the dangers that they were in and the risks that were taken to accomplish that feat. It was certainly historic. And they should be honored and this should be celebrated. Well, the last two weeks and then this week, we are celebrating the completion of some journeys as well. Historic journeys. Indeed, and that of five of our faithful long-term missionaries that have served the Lord through these many decades. And so this is the last of those, but I wanted to just reference them and uh, mention what, uh, how that relates to what we would like to do in order to honor them. We've spoken the last couple of weeks about after all these decades, an aloha offering would be appropriate and I'll talk more about that at the end of my message. But uh, two weeks ago, we featured the ministry of Jack and Jill. We'll see them in the next slide, I believe. Uh, after 39 years in Indonesia, and they're still there. And Rama Tracy is still in Indonesia, lost her husband there on the mission field. She's still ministering there. Last weekend, we highlighted the ministry of David and Marcia Van Wagenen, who spent 30 years in Africa, came back here two and a half years ago to serve with us in just a volunteer capacity in so many areas of ministry. And this weekend, I want to look specifically at the ministries of Hank and Lucy, we'll see in the next slide, and also of Jack and Mahi. And so they've spent many decades as well in various parts of the world we'll talk about in just a moment. But the past two weeks... I have been speaking out of the book of Acts, written by Luke, on the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and his companions. There were three missionary journeys in all that he spoke of, wrote about, and so each week we've referenced one of those. Today, I want us to look at the characteristics of the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. It starts in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, and I want you to see the similarities from some of the uh, things that happened in his missionary journey to the missionary journeys of the Smiths and the Snells. And I think you'll agree with me that a grateful church should honor faithful missionaries who finish their course. There's an outline in your bulletin, and I've got three principles I want to draw from this missionary journey and then, and then speak of our own missionaries. Here's the first. 
Missionaries who finish the course have forsaken earthly safety so others may gain eternal security. I've got a map of the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. It's on your bulletin cover, but I want to just show you briefly the trek they took. They started, as they did on the other two journeys, from Antioch and Syria. They went up into Asia, which is Asia Minor, we call it Turkey today, and w visited the churches they had planted on the first missionary journey and uh, went all the way up the coast. They stopped in Ephesus, by the way, for three years. And I'll tell you a little bit about what happened there in a moment. They went on up and then crossed over once more into what is now Europe, to Macedonia, and then on down into Greece, to Corinth and Athens, came back up, and then came back down and they stopped again right here on the way back where Paul was on his way to Jerusalem actually, but he wanted to take some time and meet with the elders of the church up here in Ephesus. So he asked that they be called and brought down uh, to the coast. And they came and joined him there. And we're going to look at that passage in Acts chapter 20. And after he spoke to them, they boarded ship, they sailed on, and then past Cyprus. They went to Tyre, and we'll mention that in a moment, and then on up to Jerusalem. Paul wanted to get there in time for the Feast of Pentecost. So the, the speech that he gave to the leaders on the coast there, to those elders at Ephesus, is powerful. You can read about it in Acts chapter 20, but I want to share some of it with you. It says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They're reminiscing. He's looking back. They had had a rocky time when he had spent those three years with his team there in Ephesus. As usual, when he had gotten there on this third journey, he went right to the synagogue and began to reason with them about why Jesus was the Messiah. And some of the Jews believed. Many did not. Their hearts were hardened and they began to speak out to the multitudes against Paul. And as a result, Paul took the believing Jews and Gentiles and moved into what was called the School of Tyrannus and taught them for a period of two years. And during those two years, when he was daily preaching and teaching, God was moving powerfully. Miracles were happening. People would come and they would have him touch handkerchiefs or aprons and they'd take them out, Luke says, and people that were sick or demon-possessed were healed and delivered. The word of God was just spreading throughout that whole region. As a result of that, there were some problems. This was the center of the worship of Diana or Artemis in Ephesus. And there were tradesmen who were making their living, making little shrines and idols of Diana. And uh, so a guy named Demetrius, he was a silversmith. He, he gathered the tradespeople together and he talked to them and he said, this, is, this guy Paul is ruining our business. 
He is persuading people to believe that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And if this keeps up, we'll be ruined. Well, he got them into such a furor that they rioted, they went into the amphitheater, they were jumping up and down and shouting for a couple of hours. They wanted to beat up Paul and kill him and, and all the people with him. And finally the town clerk comes in and tells them, we're in trouble. I mean, if this gets reported to the Romans, we'll be accused of starting a riot. So they finally calmed down. Paul was able to slip out of the city and go on. But it was dangerous for him to be there, as well as some of the people that were actually beaten up in that riot. Well, he continues in his remarks to these Ephesian elders, looking back to the time they'd spent there. He says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. As he was returning down the coast to get to Ephesus, there was a prophet by the name of Agabus who had told him that the Lord had shown him that when Paul got to Jerusalem, he would be arrested, that uh, he'd be put in chains. And then others along the way had also testified that this is what the Spirit was saying. And yet Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. Some people have said, well, wait a minute. If the Spirit is testifying, you're going to be arrested in Jerusalem. Wouldn't you go another direction? Paul wasn't concerned for his own safety. It was just a little over 20 years earlier that Jesus was on his way up to Jerusalem. And he told his disciples that once he got there... He would be betrayed and crucified, but he went on up because he knew that was the will of the Father. Well, Paul believed that this was the Spirit testifying, but he also believed it was the will of God that he go on up to Jerusalem. And so he was resolute. Again, it wasn't his personal safety that he was concerned about. It was, well, it was something else. And we'll see it in this next verse. And I want to tell you, this is one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the book of Acts because we see in it the heart and the motivation of the Apostle Paul. Verse 24, he says to these leaders, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that powerful? If you want to know what drove this guy, there it is right there. It wasn't about himself. It wasn't about his comfort or his safety. It was about finishing his course and the ministry which he'd received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly about the gospel of the grace of God. That should motivate every believer who's been intercepted by the grace of God. Years ago in my Bible, in the margin, I wrote my life verse. I love this verse. I love the passion and conviction behind it. Well, missionaries who finish the course have forsaken earthly safety so others can gain eternal security. And secondly, missionaries who finish the course have tirelessly given so others may receive the grace of God. Paul continues now and says, And now behold... I know that all of you among whom I went out about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. 
And then he continues, and in the verses following, he warns them that they need to be on guard for savage wolves that will arise among the flock and come from even the outside and seek to devour the flock of God there in Ephesus. And he was referring to false teachers. And it's true that wherever the gospel has gone, missionaries and churches have to deal with cults and false teachers who bring in strange doctrines seeking to draw disciples after themselves. And Paul was warning these elders from Ephesus, watch out for these kind of folks. And then he goes on and says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, among all those who are saved and set apart for God. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. He was making tents. That was his trade on the side so that he could support his ministry while he was there with them in Ephesus. In everything, he says, I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul had experienced this over and over and over again. He probably heard these words directly from the risen Lord when he encountered him. They're not recorded in the Gospels, but Jesus said and Paul said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So many of you know the truth in your experience of those words. I was asked between services to, for, by a high school girl about changed lives in our church and for a high school project she's doing. And I said, oh, gosh. And I started telling her about some of the things that have happened. She said, do you have specific stories? I said, I have too many for you to hear. Hundreds of lives that have been changed of, where we've been delivered from self-serving lives to realize it is more blessed to give than receive. And I did give her a couple of stories, actually, that just happened this last week. But uh, so many of you know the truth of those words of Jesus. And we saw it evidenced in just our regular giving, as well as his vision, our venture, as well as in what you do for one another and for people around you through the week. So it's true of missionaries as well. They have tirelessly given so that others may receive the grace and the gospel of God's grace. There's one more principle from this journey, and that is missionaries who finish the course are forever bonded to those whose hearts are knitted to God. Paul wraps up his message, and it says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Wouldn't you love to have seen that scene? What an emotional, heart-rending scene. I mean, they were just so bonded to one another. And it's uh, following this that they sailed out of there they went down past Cyprus. They got to Phoenicia. They, they met some disciples there in Tyre. And then Luke says, When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Wherever they went, 
And wherever they left, it had to be a, just an emotional scene because Paul knew where he was going. He may not ever see them again. But, folks, they were bonded forever because their hearts collectively were knitted to the heart of God. That's what happens between faithful missionaries and those they serve. And you better believe that happened to our missionaries. These five that I've referenced these last few weeks, when they left people that they'd been partnering with in ministry and sharing danger with through those decades. That's true. Faithful missionaries, they forsake earthly safety so others can gain eternal security. They tirelessly give so others can receive the grace of God. And, wow, they are forever bonded to those whose hearts are knitted to God. That was true of Paul and his team. It's true of our missionaries now. And so I want to end this brief series by referencing two more of our missionary couples this morning. And I want to start with Hank and Lucy. Now, Hank... And, well, in fact, I want to mention that Lucy and Mahi are sisters. And those girls came over here from Volcano on the Big Island where they grew up to Honolulu. And they both went to the University of Hawaii. And during those years, uh, when they were there, Dr. Bill Bright of Campus Crusade asked them to start a work on the campus. And they did. And it was Campus Crusade for Christ Hawaii. Well, after a time they had started that, Lucy met this returning sailor uh, by the name of Hank and uh, fell in love with him. He, they were married, and he became the director of Campus Crusade Hawaii in the 70s, and the ministry flourished during those years. I talked to people this morning that were baptized by him and uh, touched deeply by that ministry. And during those years, so many leaders came out of that ministry, and the ministry just really did blossom and flourish. Well, in 1976, Hank ran for Congress, and he narrowly missed being elected, actually, to Congress here from the state of Hawaii, but they felt then led to go to the Middle East. So they went to the Middle East, where Hank and Lucy ministered to leaders in 31 different Middle Eastern countries. They did that for about five years, and then in 1980, they came back to Honolulu, and that's when I first met Hank. We had just been here a year when he came back. And one of the first things he asked me was, so Ron, what's your five-year plan? What are your goals for the next five years? And I'd been trying to figure out what my plan was for the next five days. But uh, he is looking forward and uh, always thinking about some kind of vision. Well, God uh, used them here in the islands powerfully because Hank went into real estate and uh, then he was elected to the state legislature for six consecutive terms. And in both areas, in real estate and in the legislature, they made an amazing impact. They were always leading people to Christ and having Bible studies. And so many people were transformed because of their ministry here in the islands. They weren't supported by us during that time. But all the years prior to that, they'd served as missionaries of this church. And then... In 1995, we began to support them again as they went to the Middle East again and started showing the Jesus film in many languages throughout the Middle East. In fact, during that time, millions were exposed to Jesus through those films. 
Thousands of fellowships sprang up as a result, and hundreds of Christian leaders came that are still, many of them serving to this day, because of those years. In 2001, Dr. Bill Bright challenged Hank to start a humanitarian aid organization. And he wanted a, a new organization that would minister to the physical and tangible needs of people, especially in closed countries that were hostile to the gospel, but then subtly bring in Jesus through that ministry. And so they launched that in 2001 as uh, we sent them off. They went to Paris and they went to Geneva where they located it. And out of there ministered to all kinds of people in the following years. It started with just Hank and Lucy and their daughter uh, remaining at home. And to this day has grown to over 40 nations that they are ministering in. And uh, the primary area in which they serve with the, all these ministries is what we call missiologists. Missiologists are those students of missions called the 1040 window. I've got a picture here of that, and uh, you can see it right here. And this encompasses most of the Islamic world. Uh, Indonesia would also be in that, of course. Um, but this is 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north. You have Hindu regions as well as some Buddhist regions, but most Muslims live within that 1040 window. And that's where Hank and Lucy have primarily been ministering these last several decades. And they've done it through teams that they've developed through a thing called TCD, Transformational Community Development, that focuses on agriculture, helping the peoples there to grow crops, uh, sanitation, education, clean water, and they partner with leaders in those villages and get the whole village involved. And when one village sees transformation, villages next to them say, what's going on over there? We want to be a part of that. And it just goes in amazing ways. And along the way, they're asking, why are you people doing this? And they're able to tell them about Jesus. And they've seen some amazing results. Well, in the last few years, stationed as they are in Geneva, they're able to have access to the United Nations headquarters. And Hank has been able to give lectures to a lot of world leaders. In fact, they just recently had one where there were 25 nations represented, 100 delegates. And he was able to speak to them about TCD and now they're gaining access into so many nations that would never have invited a Christian organization in there. And uh, so they're seeing God do some amazing things there. Hank just uh, sent me an email this last week. And in it, he said, Greetings from Calcutta. I'm here to speak to our South Asian staff conference with our in indigenous leader and his staff from all over this part of the world. All of us have stood in awe of what the Lord is doing. In spite of increasing violence and restrictions against Christians, our staff has witnessed so many transformed lives. In his newsletter that just came out, Hank said, Work is thriving in what was a 100% Buddhist village, and now the church there is established and growing. In a region where a Christian worker was murdered a few years ago, the love of God is transforming a cluster of villages. In a 100% Hindu village, we helped the village put in a well and lessons to prevent human trafficking for the women. Just last month, two women were baptized 
in a church that has been established is planting another one. And a man of peace, and that's someone who's not yet a Christian, uh, it's a person of influence in a village that welcomes him in, a man of peace has opened up a whole new village cluster where three listed, unengaged, unreached people groups are residing. This work is led by two new trainers, each in their early 20s. Praise the Lord. Well, Hank has often been detained by government officials uh, and often been in danger. But he wrote this recently. Although 96% of our staff in the field are nationals, we have seen a number killed, wounded, or jailed. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers who are willing to take risk for the kingdom are few. Precious in the sight of the Lord are these ones. Precious to us also the staff and families that remain behind to serve. Well, that's Hank and Lucy's ministry. Now let's go over to Lucy's sister, Mahi, and let me tell you about her story and that of her husband, Jack. She came over from Volcano also in the early 70s, mid-70s, and went through UH Campus Crusade, served with them as a volunteer. And then in 1978, this church began to support her as a missionary with Crusade. She went to California, started training missionaries over there, and then, after a couple of years, went to Asia. And she spent time in Manila, Hong Kong, and then on to China, where she served until she came back to the islands. And she came back and met this guy from Alabama who was here with Crusade. He had been offered Major League Baseball contracts, a couple of them as a pitcher, but he really believed God wanted him to go to China as a missionary. So when Mahi and Jack met and fell in love. They knew that was God's call on their lives. They were married at this church. They were sent out by this church to China, and they ministered there as missionaries for 23 years. Until some years ago now, her parents were in their mid-90s on the Big Island. They entrusted that work to someone else and came to minister to her parents before they passed. And now Jack is pastoring a church in Pune on the Big Island. But their ministry in China was amazing. When they first went there, I mean, they went there as business consultants. I mean, you didn't go in as missionaries, and they ministered to a lot of business people and leaders who came to Christ, and they saw multiple uh, ministries result from that. Later, they uh, connected with the university system, and they were able to reach many professors and students there and saw house churches springing up all around those university settings. They reached out to some top government officials. They then later moved into an international church ministry, working with that church where expats, people from other nations were gathered, as well as Chinese nationals who had been abroad who could come to that church. And then Jack mentored the, uh, a new church plant for the last few years. He said at one point we had people from 70 different nations in that church as well as Chinese. And so leaders were being discipled that were going back to the world. And so there was an incredible worldwide impact through their ministry. You know, we read these missionary letters in our New Testament. I just excerpted a couple of comments that Jack sent in a letter. And this is a missionary letter now. He says, our work in China took place at multiple levels. He said, we lived in constant tension, realizing we were foreign to the land and would always be foreigners. 
We might dress like the Chinese. We might live in their houses, try to speak their language, eat their food. But we were still foreigners, and we were constantly reminded of that, even after more than 20 years. But we loved them. Isn't that always the way it is with faithful missionaries? That's how God grants success. At times, fear would be very real. Several times I knew I was being investigated by the police, especially in 1999 when two friends I worked with were expelled from the country for their religious activities. There were times when we had a great awareness of dark forces and evil at work around us. When Paul asks the churches to pray for him that he would have boldness in proclaiming the gospel, I understand that request, especially in places and times when danger was around. I had Chinese disciples, he says, who were imprisoned and held because of their faith. We had co-workers who were forced to have abortions or were sterilized. But whatever the hardship, they were the best years of our lives. We were blessed over and over by God and by Chinese Christians. Such a privilege to have been given the opportunity and calling by God. Well, that represents the ministries of Jack and Mahi and Hank and Lucy. And then in previous weeks, that of Jack and Jill and Rama and David and Marcia. And these missionaries have labored for the gospel. They've encountered danger. They've wept with the people they've served and embraced them as they were parting. And we've partnered with them. And we've prayed for them through these decades. And we are bonded to them because together our hearts are knitted to the heart of God. We're at the end of an era of missions at Kaimuki Christian. There's a new era that's beginning, but I think it's fitting to celebrate the end of these journeys or the near end of some of these journeys and to honor these folks. And as I'd mentioned, through an Aloha offering, the elders have agreed and our staff is fully supportive that it would be wonderful to send these missionary couples and the single, Rama, to the Holy Land with our team in November. It would cost a lot of money. It would be almost $40,000. But my conviction is that they've sacrificed through these decades, and if we'll sacrifice uh, to send them, they will be blessed, and we'll all be blessed. In fact, uh, when we reached out to them, and suggested the possibility, as I said a couple of weeks ago, they were just stunned. None of them have been to the Holy Land, but they've all dreamed of going there where Jesus walked. And so I'm just asking you to consider it, pray about it, and see if the Lord moves in your heart to share in that Aloha offering next weekend. I want to conclude this message, though, with some words that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Corinth that he founded on his second journey as he was talking about a, a special offering. He said this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a farming analogy. You scatter a few seeds, you're just going to get a tiny harvest. But if you scatter those seeds generously, you'll get an abundant harvest. Then he says each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you choose not to give anything in this offering, you are off the hook. 
because uh, you shouldn't give because you feel uh, obligated to do so or out of guilt. It's a free will offering, just like Paul says. It's if the Lord speaks to your heart and moves you to give. We want to give out of gratitude, not out of guilt, for the glory of God. If you do give, though, I'd really ask you to give above and beyond your regular giving because we have a ministry to uh, fulfill here and to continue to carry out. And then he concludes this section by saying, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I believe this is a good work to give this gift to these missionaries and just ask you to consider being a part of it. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for faithful servants of yours, those we've partnered with to the ends of the earth and those right in this church family who are missionaries in their own field every day. We want to be faithful missionaries as well. And Lord, I pray that in this coming week you would speak to our hearts and if it's your will that uh, we just have an overflowing offering, uh, we'll thank you for that as well. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.